0: All right. So I would say that if I were to start all over today, it would depend on my timeframe for making money. If I want to make money within a year, I would probably still go into e-commerce or sell something, right? Because when it comes to content, it's a little bit more ambiguous. But I would say that if your time horizon is maybe three to five years for income, then I would go the content route because it takes time to scale. But once it scales, it scales really quickly. And you can make a lot of money without shipping anything physical. It can be digital products, it can be memberships, it can be courses, it can be ads, whatever. Which, in my opinion, is like the holy grail.
1: What is up, you sexy bastards? It's your boy, the Dog Dad, aka Rabbi Can't Lose, aka Noah Kagan. Today's guest is my longtime internet buddy, Steve Chu. He is the husband behind my WifeQuitterJob.com blog. He's an entrepreneur and now third time around this podcast. I think he might win the award for most appearances. Nice job, Steve. Not only is he a million dollar entrepreneur and popular content creator, he's a dad to two teenagers and supposedly they still like him. Today, Steve is here to talk about how he made that happen, why he wrote a book about it, and how did he also create a successful business and keep his day job, which he liked. Pretty interesting. Check out Steve's new book, The Family First Entrepreneur, at thefamilyfirstentrepreneur.com. Even if you don't have kids like me, I thought it was a really fun conversation. If you've ever wanted to learn about how to make big money without sacrificing family time or yourself, you're gonna love this episode. Here's three gigantic things you're gonna take away. One, the three words I told Steve that helped him make a million bucks, but also cost him his marriage, my bad. Two, Steve's plan to make his kids' college applications better than the competition and how you can use that in business. Three, why ego is the best friend everyone should have. Enjoy those three things, plus a bunch more ear nuggets along the way. Before we dive into the show, make sure you check out TidyCal.com. It is blowing up on AppSumo. It's one of the original products that the team has created. You can get it for free to do all your scheduling. We end up using it for this podcast. I actually use it to do for a lot of customer and partner calls at AppSumo. That is TidyCal.com. It is free. You can also do the paid version one time for life at 29 bucks. TidyCal.com. Also, if you want to launch your own business but you want help getting started, come on. We all need help and coaches. I had a business coach today. We reopened my course, Monthly 1K, for just 10 bucks. That is how to make a $1,000 a month business. It has helped thousands of people to start their business journey, and I know it will help you too. Head over to okdork.com slash monthly1k to sign up. Also, a special pre-show shout out to listener Bob099. He left a review saying, worth your time, download it or else. Noah has really created valuable information in a format that is to the point, entertaining, and highly useful for any person looking to gain an edge. Don't tell others, Bob. I would give it a six stars if it let me. Bob, I'd give you a 20 star if I knew where you were. Thank you and every other one of you gorgeous listeners. If you want a shout out in a future episode, leave a review wherever you listen to this podcast. I check every single one of them.
0: When you think of me, Steve, what do you think? I would say amazingly smart and neurotic. What do you think? I wouldn't say amazingly, I would say above
1: average smart. But yeah, I don't think I'm, I think I'm above average. But yeah, the neurotic part is something I've, I think that's the part I'm working on where it's like, it's not fun to be neurotic all the time. And even like I observe my brother, who I would say is similar in a lot of ways. I'm like, dude, that's exhausting. <laughs> and I think that's, it's a Jewish, I wouldn't say gene, but definitely influenced from our culture. And so it's stuff that, you know, go to therapy and have good friends and have coaches and, you know, and being with someone like Mafé who's just like really grounded and secured and oh, I like that. I don't know, just puts the neur- neuroses lower. And yeah, I guess just more consistent and stable in how my behavior is, which
0: I, I like. And yeah, you know, she likes it as well. Yeah. You know, uh, I like to live vicariously through people like you because you're always doing stuff, right? You're an action taker. You want to do something, you go and do it, right?
1: I mean, I think what what I've realized sometimes is that the limits are actually can be helpful. Like, I think as a kid, I know your book is the the family... Family first entrepreneur or family? entrepreneur
0: Family first entrepreneur, yeah.
1: Because I remember as a kid, I had two dads and one of my dad was very like, do whatever you want. And my other dad, my stepfather's an engineer, was very much like, here's all the rules you're going to follow. And the rules are actually like, now that I'm older, are super helpful. Like, I'm clean, I'm disciplined. Like, I am consistent <laughs> in a lot of areas. Yeah. And it's like, that
0: mostly came from my strict father,
1: not from the, the no rules father.
0: So, uh it's funny because I, my, my sister-in-law is married to a white guy and just, there's different ways of bringing up kids. So Asians tend to be more strict, but on the flip side, if you give them a lot more freedom, they're bolder, right? So it's this trade-off. What do you mean they're bolder? Bolder, meaning they do whatever they want. They might get out of line or whatever, but that actually is a good trait later on in life. Dude,
1: I had so many Asians. I mean, this is so typical in Bay area where, where we're from. It's like, I had so many Asians like went to Stanford or Berkeley and I remember when they got to Cal, one of them specifically, he just like went on a drug bender and (laughs) dropped out. He was one of the top students at our high school and I just remember kind of thinking about that where it's like, oh, I wonder how much pressure he had at home and what that was like for him. It's hard to be a parent, man. Dude,
0: it is. Is
1: it hard to be a parent?
0: It is, but I think I got the hang of it now after 15 years. Is that how old your kids are? Yeah, dude. Teenagers, both of them. Do they still like you? They do. They do. Okay, tell me about that. I think it's because I'm around all the time. Okay. I think it's part of it.
1: Are you going to have kids? We're like super early in our dating and we're trying not to get too far ahead of it, but I'd really like to have kids. I think the dog, this dog I'm dog sitting is kind of like a practice round. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Almost all of my male friends, I'd say about 90% have kids. I'm like one of the last, last people out and God willing, I can have a kid and all the other people who want to have kids can have them. But I think yeah. when I was talking with uh, Mafé, that's her, her nickname. Just about the different types of of dads. Like, Do you have different observations of dads that you see and the ones that you admire and didn't admire? and What what have you noticed in in your your guy friends who have dads?
0: The ones I admire actually make everything. They're mentally present at kids' activities, and they volunteer, and they're successful.
1: Who's the first person you think of?
0: Honestly, I think of Pat Flynn. What is it
1: about Pat Flynn?
0: He's just a good guy. He seems like he's present with his kids. That's why I use him as an example in the book also. He's successful. Everything he does, he does a good job at. I like how he includes his kids in his videos. I don't it seems like a pretty tightly knit family. I mean, we've shared stories. We have similar philosophies. Pat actually told me that he considered writing the type of book that I just wrote, but he never did for some reason.
1: One thing, Steve, sometimes I make these videos or I do this work stuff and I'm like, I don't know how y'all do it with kids and a wife full time. And they live with you all the time. Like I'm barely surviving just by myself. So I don't know how y'all balance doing all these different things and having all that. Like,
0: what goes on with that? That's what I'm saying. I don't think it's possible. You can't be <laughs> you and be a really good dad that's mentally present, I don't think. I mean, you're running a, what, nine-figure company now? No, it's uh, the revenue is less than that. I think valuation is... Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. It yeah, yeah. doesn't matter. It's a big company. Yeah, it's
1: it, dude, it's stressful. I don't know how parents do it. I have a lot of respect for
0: people in our company who have kids or anyone who's running a company that has kids, male or female. I don't think it can be done. Just think of all the things that you have to worry about, right? Employees are probably the worst thing. I don't know. Maybe you don't have to do that anymore. Maybe you've already scaled to a certain point where you have a great team. And you don't have to deal with that stuff anymore. I don't know. But that's a pain. And then just there's probably a fires going on all the time, right? Your company is like a big kid. It's like five kids probably. Yeah. So that's what I come to realize. I can't be you. At least not yet. Yeah. So how do you do it? How have you done it? Scale down, be efficient, only take part in activities that have like a long-term gain from the minimal amount of work. Computers and automation, software, not hiring people. It's the best and the worst. It's mostly the best.
1: It really is. When you have great people around, it really is like, there's certain times I just didn't want, I wouldn't want to work without these people around.
0: Well, I think that anyone can make a couple million bucks with just like one employee, one or two employees. But if you want to get to like 10 million, I think you need a team. And there's this like really painful period, right? Of maybe between five and 10, where it's just like the most, I I don't know, maybe you can give your experience here. But to get to that point, it's painful. You have to hire the team, all these headaches, processes in place. But just to get a couple million bucks, I mean, anyone can make that with minimal employees and kind of being like a solopreneur.
1: You're saying minimal work for long-term
0: gains? I'll give you an example. I'm not really big on social media because it's like a hamster wheel to me. Like my friends who do it well, they post like seven times a day. A friend who does really want well Facebook posts 21 times a day. And when they stop, the traffic stops, right? So instead, I'll focus on like SEO, for example. I have posts I wrote 10 years ago that still generate traffic. I have YouTube videos that I posted three years ago that still get views and email subs. And so I just focus on things that give me the biggest bang for the buck, really.
1: I am curious, Steve, coming on you know, a lot of your family
0: stuff, a few things here. One, how are you and your dad similar or different? So I was brought up that if you work hard with your head down, people will recognize it and they'll reward you. And it wasn't until I started working that I realized that that wasn't the case. Like I wasn't getting promoted at work. And it wasn't until I had my businesses that I realized that you had to ask for stuff. And once my businesses started making like eight or 10X my salary, I actually got cocky at work. I remember this one presentation my boss was giving. I was like, dude, that's just not gonna work, man. I don't think that's a great idea. And everyone was like, dude, what are you doing? He's like up there in front of a bunch of people. But I kept getting promoted after that, which was like the most ironic thing in the world that happened to me. And so I just come to realize that you just have to be yourself, say whatever the hell is on your mind, ask for what you want, and that's the only way you're gonna get things. Which is like the opposite of how my dad kind of brought me up. Is it like that in the Jewish family too?
1: I think the Jewish culture is taught to ask questions. Hmm. But I, I think you're right. That's I thought that was that's a really great point. I'll just just reiterate it. Like the people I saw at Facebook and even at Appsumo today, there are a few people who are constantly like for example. I commented that our Facebook group used to make us $50,000 a month. And I was like, how come we're not managing or facilitating or moderating our Facebook group? And so I got the team together and I said, all right, let's brainstorm. Let's brainstorm how to do some of this stuff. And this one person's like, well, are we sure Facebook is the best thing? Is there another thing with the same amount of time that could be a better return? And I was like, how about you shut your mouth and do what you're told? (laughs) No, I didn't say that, but I was like, I said it jokingly. I was like, I really don't appreciate you challenging me. I said it jokingly, but I love that you're challenging. it. And I have noticed that the best people to work with are the ones, not rude, but are actually just, they really end up being some of the top talent is what I've noticed. The ones who challenge things. But your dad was taught just like head down, work hard.
0: Yeah. And I, I mean, to be frank, I thought he got screwed a lot. What do you mean? Meaning like there was this one company he, okay. So he went back to work to put me through school. He took another job to do that. And he was pulling like. I want to say 80-hour weeks at this place. And I feel like he wasn't getting compensated well for it at all. And I just saw how hard he worked, the pressure he was under. But he didn't ask for any more equity in that company, which actually later on sold for a reasonable sum of money. All he had to do was ask. I mean, for the amount of work he was doing and that arm, he should have asked for more equity and he would have gotten it, right? Because if he had left, that would have been the end of that branch of that company. But he didn't. It was a buddy of his. And the buddy got super rich? The buddy got rich. I mean, my dad made some money too, but you know.
1: You thought it should be proportional to the value he created. Oh, yeah. When you think of your dad and when you were younger, what are the phrases that come to mind?
0: My dad was really big on community. So he started uh, the Chinese school in my area. He started the Chinese Community Center. So there's no like phrase, but he basically taught me that people are important. You can go really far in life just by making a ton of friends, really.
1: is that something you, you observed in him and you've made an effort around?
0: Pretty much, yeah. So I try to meet people. I mean, that's the main reason why I started my podcast. It wasn't to like build an audience or anything. It was really just to meet people because you can just ask anyone, they'll want to come onto your pod, especially once it has an audience, right?
1: I thought one of the most interesting things about your story was you were having these side hustles, which we can talk about as well. I think a lot of our audience want to start side hustles and full time hustles. While you were making a ton having being a full time employee and you enjoyed being a full time employee, it seemed for quite some time. I did. I think that's kind of counterintuitive to the narrative that I think people are used to. Can you share a little bit more about that?
0: So here's the thing like I sell handkerchiefs online and I sell courses and I do YouTube and podcasting. It doesn't require a lot of brain power. I don't know. What do you think? Right. <laughs> Whereas uh, at my work, I was designing microprocessors. So I'm really proud of this. I was one of the three main guys on a configurable microprocessor that does noise cancellation in almost all the phones today. Right. That's not something you can do by yourself. You need a team to do that. You need a company behind it. That requires a lot more brain power than, than selling hankies. Right. So that's why I like my job so much. But you finally, you eventually left it. I did. So the story, I don't know if you know the story behind that. No. I was making probably 10 to 12 X more than my salary from all the stuff I was doing. And I was like, do I have to come in every day? And so I I dropped down to four days that went for like three months. Then I dropped down to three, then two, and then one. And it was great during that period because I could go and hang out with coworkers. I was just there in case something broke because I had coded a lot of the stuff and you know, probably didn't comment it well enough, you know. Then my boss left. A new guy comes in, pulls me in the office and he's like, hey, what exactly do you do here? And I was like, hey, I'm just going to be straight up with you. I don't do anything here. I'm your insurance policy in in case anything breaks and I attend meetings. And then that was that. And then he just, he pieced you out? Well, no, he basically said, you got to come in at least three days a week to the office. And I said, I don't want to do that. So I'm out.
1: Because you guys started the
0: linen business while you guys had jobs? Oh, yeah. I didn't quit until way later. The linen business started in 2007. My wife quit in 2008. I worked until 2016. Dude. Yeah. Um, So what are the lessons there? Because my brother and a lot of people out there, there's a lot of our
1: listeners, have day jobs, dream of something like that. What are some of the elements of how you got that going and that they can learn for themselves and getting a side hustle going?
0: All right. So I'll just tell you the story. Like, So as soon as my wife started making decent money with the store, when we were working together on that, I wanted a retirement plan, just something on the side. And uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this dude named Steve Pavlina. Dude, he was the original life hacker online. Okay, so you probably even know this post then. He wrote this post called How to Make Your First Love Dollar. You ever read that post?
1: No, I'm looking it up though. Keep
0: going. Google it. It's like the best post ever written that influenced me to just start blogging. And I hated writing at the time, right? So I decided to write a blog right after that. So th- basically the, the guts of that post was he was making $4,000 a day on AdSense, just writing about stuff that was on his mind. And I was like, I can do that. And you should just start anything that you're interested in. It's just generally what I tell people. Okay. And that blog didn't make any money for two or three years. And then it just started taking off after that.
1: Well, your blog was mywifequitterjob.com? It was. Yeah,
0: it still is. Yeah, I still run
1: it. So what inspired you about Steve's post? And then how did you guys even get your first customer with this linens business? And how did you choose that idea?
0: Okay. So the linens business was when we got married, my wife knew she was going to cry. So we looked all over the place for hankies. Couldn't find any in the US at the time. And then we found this factory in China, but you had to buy a bunch. So we ended up buying a bunch. We used maybe like a handful of them. And then we listed the rest on eBay. And then they sold like hotcakes. Didn't think anything of it. Three years later, my wife became pregnant with our first child. She told me she wanted to quit. So that's why the name of the blog is My Wife Quit Her Job. You know where we live, Silicon Valley, kind of where you grew up, right? Yeah. You went to Lindbrook, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know the houses here are ridiculously expensive. You pretty much need two incomes, get a good house and a good school district. So we brainstormed different ideas and we came back to Hanky's. It was already a proven idea. So we just launched a website and let it ride. How do you think you would go about something today? Because I think that's what a lot of people then go back to. One,
1: I love the fact that you had a problem, you solved it, which I think that's entrepreneurship. I think people miss out on their networks or easy ways to validate. Go to places where there's potential customers, your friends, your network, eBay, Etsy, Amazon, Facebook, Craigslist, see if people will buy whatever you're doing. So I love that you guys did that. But I guess, how would you explore the problems you have today? And then again, what was it about Steve Pavlino's How to Earn Your First Love Dollar that, that impacted you?
0: It just showed that you could just write some content and make money from it. That was the real big thing I took away from that. And it's actually something that you enjoy doing and not have to ship physical products. And then what tell me about today, like for people that are out there thinking like, "Hey, I have a family." All right, so I would say that if I were to start all over today, it would depend on my time frame for making money. If I want to make money within a year, I would probably still go into e-commerce or sell something, right? Because when it, when it comes to content, it's a little bit more ambiguous. But I would say that if your time horizon is maybe three to five years for income, then I would go the content route because it takes time to scale, but once it scales, it scales really quickly, and you can make a lot of money without shipping anything, physical. It can be digital products, it can be memberships, it can be courses, it can be ads, whatever. Which, in my opinion, is like the holy grail. How's Steve Chu, by the way? I didn't really get to ask you. I'm good, man. Things are good. I got a, a routine down now where I just work until about noon. And then the afternoons, I'm shuttling my kids to volleyball. I was coaching for a little bit, basketball and volleyball. And uh, get to have lunch with my wife. We have date nights multiple times a week. So it's been good. How long did it take to get to this routine? We went through some rough patches. Uh, in the show notes, when we were kind of drafting this episode, I told you that one of the things was you said to me three words that nearly that allowed me to make a million bucks, but almost ruined my marriage. Do you remember what those three words were? This was back in 2013. What did I say? So I was like, I think I was making like 600,000, maybe 700,000 at that time. As an employee? No, no. It, the linens business. Jesus. The business. And then you said, dude, you're sitting on a gold mine. Just scale it is what you said. <laughs> and I was like, okay, that sounds good. So my goal was to hit a million bucks that year. And then we hit the goal like pulling out all the stops. I think that year we also hit the Today Show. And then the next year I set a higher goal, and then before you know it, I was driving my wife crazy cuz you know it, you know what what you don't realize in any business is that growing fast kind of sucks, especially when it comes to physical products. We had 7x the normal daily volume of orders after we hit the Today Show. And it was just me, my wife, and this one employee. And all of a sudden, we were like, crap, how are we going to do this? It was the most miserable time. And my wife ended up breaking down and saying, hey, I don't want to do this anymore. This business sucks. We make already way more than we spend. I mean, we're, we're Asians, right? We're pretty frugal. I don't spend that much money. So we were making like multiple times what we spend. So what was the point of increasing revenue? It was a really stressful time. After that, we had a talk and we stopped the revenue goals. No more revenue goals. Now, the problem with that was I got an ego, right? I mean, problem is like, you're like the bane of my existence, dude. Oh, st- like I'll listen to something that you do and I'm like, I want an AppSumo. <laughs> but meanwhile, I'm sitting here, here I, I belong to uh, this group called the Mayfield Fellows Program at Stanford. And like, give me an example, Kevin Systrom is in that group, right? Okay. Every year we have this retreat at the Sierra Club and everyone's going off and telling me about how they started their next, you know, $100 million company or they had an exit or a billion dollar exit. And then when it comes to my turn to share, I'm like, yeah, I'm still selling handkerchiefs and whatnot. Hurts the ego, you know what I mean. So that was my biggest problem with all of this and scaling back.
1: Yeah. How did you change, and what, you know, what advice would you have for
0: others who are like, I don't have shit. You know, at least you have something you could scale back on. Yeah. So my advice is figure out how much you spend in a year to be happy. Pay yourself that first, and then the rest is gravy. And to satisfy the ego requirement, what I do now is I just do one thing every year, and I try to do it the best that I can, and whatever happens, happens. So this year I'm launching the book. Last year was YouTube and I hit 200K subs. The year before that, it was TikTok. The year before that, I think it was Google performance max ads. Every year I just do one thing for the entire year. And as long as I'm learning something new, that seems to have been able to satisfy my ego so far. As long as I don't hang out too much with people like yourself. I
1: don't even know where to go with that.
0: (laughs) Two things though. One, I think you have a lot of advice you say really fast or quickly
1: and short. That's actually super powerful. And I think the one right there was, I think that doing one thing is really powerful. And I think the fact that it's like, how do you get away from the ego is another just like super powerful thing. And I like the fact that it was just like, I'm gonna do one thing and get away from my ego. I noticed for myself a few years ago, it would be like, I'd look at Ramit and I'm like, God damn, he's getting super rich and all these things. Or I'd be on YouTube and I'd see all these other people making all these videos and they have more views and more subs and kind of had to like take a, like a, a rain check on that stuff. And also your your comment on this like growth mode. It's like, for what? Like you take, I hang out with Andrew Chen, he's one of my best friends. He's like, grow faster. I'm like, why? For what? Like we have more than enough money. And you know, I think everyone wants to feel progress. I think that's a separate thing. And so I think it's really, you know, figuring out how we want to measure our own successes. So I, I think it's beautiful advice. And you have some other stuff that we've already talked about that I think is just like kind of counterintuitive to go slower and be happier. And then I, I like this other thing about picking one thing. You're just, okay, what's my one thing this year I'm gonna work
0: on? I think I got that from you actually. So that's probably why you agree with it. <laughs> <laughs> Stop, dude. Stop. You're giving me too
1: much uh too much ego. My ego's already good. Someone's like, hey, I, I know you like more ego. I'm like, dude, my ego's great. Like me and my ego, we're getting along. We're learning each other.
0: But that's always the way I've rolled, actually. You've always been like slow and steady, dude. I'm always slow and steady. So I don't take on anything new unless I know I can maintain it at a steady pace for at least five years. So the YouTube channel, right? That was the biggest hurdle because doing video is kind of a pain in the ass. Compared to audio and blogging, video is like the the next step, right? And so I didn't start the channel until I knew I had a flow in place where I I could easily do one or two videos a week without even thinking about it, without it affecting my routine at all. And I added that in. I started the YouTube channel, been posting at least one video a week. Just recently, up to two because I can maintain that pace. And uh, it took me three years to hit 100k subs, but now it's a lot faster in terms of the growth. So, and I'm seeing a lot of gains from it. So I just happen to be YouTubing in a pretty lucrative niche. So the channel itself, just from AdSense ads, should probably do between two fifty and three something, three hundred something, just on AdSense ads.
1: Just being on YouTube. Just being on YouTube. Yeah, you have actually always been slow and steady, and it's like I'm surprised you listened to my advice about the scale thing. Because I think one of the things with AppSumo that's been an interesting experience is that we have like Andrew Chen on one side, who's like, if you're not a billion dollars company, you're, you failed. And then we've had Eamon, who's been the CEO, where it's like, you know, let's go fifteen percent a year, and and that's great, and. I don't know, I've kind of gotten more to that level and say more to your style, which is like, how do you sustain for like a very long period of time? And I think you're right, I'm listening to you.
0: Most people don't understand how painful it is to grow fast. Okay, here's the thing. I've interviewed like 450 people on my podcast, right? Hmm. There's this one dude I interviewed, he hit like 2 million bucks in six months in an e-commerce store. And it was, it was an amazing story. We cheered them on, whatever, in the podcast. We were talking about all the great things. And then as soon as I hit stop, I was like, dude, how much did that suck? Because I know what it's like to import all that stuff from China. He's like, dude, it was the most stressful time of my life. I wasn't talking to anyone. I wasn't going out. All I did was pack and ship orders and make sure stuff was coming in on time, quality control. Yeah, it, it sucked. I wish I hadn't got that part of the interview in the recording. But that's pretty common. You're probably a member of many mastermind groups, just like I am. And... You get in this mode where you're trying to match everyone else, which is why I've kind of scaled back my mastermind groups a little bit to people who have families, right? (laughs) Yeah. Because you want to make a million bucks, right, in the next webinar, whatever, whatever group you're in. But what you don't realize is there's a lot of guys out there who say that they make a lot. I had this one guy in a mastermind group. He was making pretty a good multi six figure profit, and then he wanted to hit seven figures. He really wanted to hit seven figures, so he busted his butt, hired a team, hit seven figures. And then we look back, his profit was actually slightly lower than what he made when he was just doing multi-six figures. But he could say that he makes a, he has a seven-figure business now, right? Ego. Yeah,
1: the ego is the best friend that everyone should get. No, it, it is interesting. Like one of the guys on our team was going to promote how many people we have or how much money we're making. And I was like, I just don't think that's what I want us to be branded around, right? I think there's other ways of like, hey, do you get to enjoy your life, right? Like I have a, one of my best friends, Adam from mybodytutor.com makes good money i won't speak for him and he gets to be with his kids and he's like this is it he's like i get i get to take care of my wife i get to make good money i, get, I love what i do and i think how much it is is, is not as interesting for him and I, I admire that i think especially as i've gotten older and then when you realize like as you get more money like what really brings you joy like um with a girlfriend i'll do a lot of things but one day i brought her a coffee like a two dollar coffee she was like oh i can't believe you did this i'm like this great you know like it's you know sometimes it's it's not the rolexes or the fancy things that people see online it's actually like probably a lot smaller things that, that bring like sustainable or lasting joy so what uh it's interesting i guess that's maturity and wisdom
0: i don't know what it is well i i mean i don't know if this would have happened unless my wife broke down but you know you think about what makes you happy in life right so for me that's going on a walk like if i think about what's a good week for me i've gone out to lunch with my wife a couple times I've played volleyball with the kids in the afternoon, gone on a couple walks, played ultimate, lifted weights. That's all I need, man. What do you think are the elements of a great husband?
1: And should everyone have a family?
0: I don't think everyone should have a family unless they're willing to to put the time and effort into making sure they grow up to be good citizens. Here's the reason why I'm the way I am. My parents were first-generation Chinese immigrants, and they came here with nothing, nothing at all. And they kind of built their family, built their wealth up from scratch. And as a result, I didn't get to see him that often. So I used to play club volleyball and I used to travel, you know, to go play. And my friend's parents were there and my parents tried to make all my games. But whenever I looked over the side, you know, I kind of wish they were there. It's not anything negative to say about them, but it would have been nice. Like when I had a really good game, I want them to see it and know about it. Right. And so that's why I have a policy now not to miss anything, really, especially their sporting events. So it's really just child childhood trauma. (laughs) in a way, right? That makes me the way I am. And I think it's important too, right? Let's just be clear. Like your kids don't want to hang out with you all the time. I know you don't have kids, but just you probably realize they don't want to hang out with you all the time. But I think it's important just to be there in case they need you. It's not like you're hanging out and talking all the time, but just the fact that you're around makes a big difference. I think.
1: It does seem like, you know, everyone always says the same thing about a family, like, ah, it's the toughest thing and the best thing. And I guess in this lifetime, it does seem like something to experience the kids. An experience, you know, just interacting and, and also, you know, with the, with the significant other. Like the amount of growth, like I will say, even in this, in dating uh, Mafe, like the amount of growth I've had has just been amazing. And, you know, ideally, I'm, I'm hoping to give her a, a great experience in life too.
0: Maybe that is a, uh, a new business idea. You know, you just rent the kid for like a month, right? See how it goes. It's like fostering a dog, rent a <laughs> wife, rent a husband, rent a friend. I think we're
1: onto something, Steve. There no, I, come on. You know what I mean on this stuff, dude. And like, you, you've you gotten 15 years of it, man. Wow.
0: Yeah, man. Um, I mean, what, what other things can I say about that?
1: Well, I was curious to the things about a good husband. Because I've been noticing being a partner, right? Like being a partner with her has been interesting. It's like, okay, what does she
0: need? How do I put her first? How do I make her happy? Okay, I'll tell you something. Oh, tell me. There was a time when, my, um, when things weren't going so well with my wife. Uh, it didn't have to do so much with the businesses, but the fact that, she didn't feel appreciated. And then so she would, she would just be always in a bad mood and yell at people. And so I'd kind of huddle in my office, you know, wait for the, uh, you know, whatever to subside. And uh, I talked to my buddy Tall about this. And he was like, dude, you need to talk to her. And I was like, agents don't talk. We demonstrate. And uh, what was cool about Tall was he was like, okay, you need to have this talk with her. Tell her how you feel, how you appreciate her and everything. And I was like, okay, yeah, whatever, whatever. So what he did is he started texting me every other day asking me whether I had to talk yet. And this went on for like a couple of weeks until finally I was like, dude, fine, just stop texting me already. And so we went on this walk, this is during COVID. And I told her how much I appreciated her for everything. And then all of a sudden it was a total 180. Things were really good after that. And they, they've been really amazing ever since that. So to answer your question, you need to find out what the needs are of your spouse. I don't wanna use the word love languages, but there's always something, right? That's missing. Like if, if your wife is always irritable, then chances are it's something underlying that that you aren't just doing. It's not about the current situation. And you just need to figure out what that is and address it somehow. And it helps to have friends who will text you every other day also.
1: You just drop these nuggets. I really hope people listen to the episode and take away. Cause I think you you say this stuff and it's more powerful than I think people realize. Like finding the needs of your spouse, finding friends around you and the community around you that'll that'll support you in that journey and rap. And I am I'm curious. Anything that surprised you as you were putting this family first entrepreneur book together? Any material, any story, any experience, any lesson
0: that was surprising that you that you realized as you were putting the material together? Yeah. So what surprised me the most actually was I realized how much like your kids kind of copy you. Mm. Right? Copy what you do and they they notice your habits. So I'll just give you a, the most egregious example. My son is low carb. <laughs> I think because I'm low carb. Like a while back, I wanted to get a six pack back in 2014. So I cut out carbs and I lost 35 pounds, hit it, discovered it was impossible to maintain, but I still continued the low carb lifestyle, right? The boy does not eat bread and he's the skinniest guy. He's like below like the scale in terms of percentile weight, but I think it's my fault. But it's not like I'm going to go eat carbs now, right? My kids, when they were 9-11, they started their own e-commerce store selling entrepreneurship t-shirts because they wanted to start a business. And we got them on print on demand because it doesn't cost that much money to start that. They started with their allowance money and they just had to put together the designs and then someone else you know, prints and ships the order. They loved that. They made $1,000 in their first month of which we didn't give them that money because it goes to college, of course. We're Asian. And then uh, my daughter is on her second store now selling her own handmade jewelry over at renabee.com. And I'm really proud of that. And I just discovered it's just because they're watching us. I certainly hope that they don't want to become a YouTuber or anything like that. I mean, I still want them to go to college. I I want them to be successful in business, but only to a certain point where they just get a taste. And then I want them to go to college and then maybe, you know, later start a business. I love that. man. what's the minimum Ivy League that you're going
1: to accept? Otherwise you disown them. You know, my standards have dropped a little bit. Like if they go to Brown. Ooh, Brown.
0: I'm just saying if they're at Brown or Cornell, are you even going to talk to them anymore? You know, these days, I, I think, I can't believe I'm saying this publicly on your podcast, but I think college is, not going to matter as much going forward.
1: Some of it. Yeah. Did you're at Stanford? Do you, when you go to school, like you went to school, you have to drop it at least every episode. <laughs> <laughs> so I was at my alumni, Stanford, by the way,
0: I was at an alumni dinner. <laughs> <laughs> it's much harder to get in now, man. You know that. It's much, I don't think I could get in again. I think that's true for a lot of things in business and life. Like I,
1: I see something like starting companies today. I'm like, I'm kind of glad I started a while ago, but I think that's kind of always the case. And maybe it's just like different perspectives depending on your generation. And so I think, you know, staying curious and maybe it's harder, maybe it's not. Maybe things don't matter as much even, like as you're saying, like maybe you don't need to go.
0: Well, I'll tell you the uh, the plan to get them in. So they're going to start a class that teaches people, teaches teenagers how to start their own business. And we're going to take print on a man as that model. And we're going to run a class. I don't know how much they're going to charge yet. But I figure like if they make like $100,000, that's a pretty good thing to put on their college app, right?
1: Yeah, I think it's what, how do they stand
0: out, right? Yeah, you just got to pick something that makes you different than all the other agents that are applying with their 4.0 grade point averages and extracurriculars like piano and whatnot.
1: That is a wrap. I hope you love the episode as much as we did recording it for you. Go give Steve some love at thefamilyfirstentrepreneur.com. That's thefamilyfirstentrepreneur.com. Entrepreneur is a really hard word to spell, but it's not hard to be. You just got to persist. Next, text a friend you love him. Yo, dog, let's go roast some coffee together. And before you go, tweet, Instagram, TikTok, whatever, at Noah and let me know what you thought of this episode. I love hearing from you. Also, if you're not on my newsletter, make sure you go to okdork.com and subscribe. We put exclusive content into a single short email each and every week for people trying to start a business and marketing, plus some fun tips. That's okdork.com. Finally, shout out to the amazing team who helps put all this together. Finally, shout outs to the amazing team that helps put this together. Special thanks to Jason at podcasttech.com for making these episodes sound so clean. Please don't hire him away. Just kidding. Jason loves me. We're in a a relationship. Thank you to Jeremy, Cam, Sasa, Nikki, and Jen from the Door team for all the magic y'all do. And finally, wanted to send good vibes and props to all the people at Absumo who made Last Call for All possible. It was an experiment we tried where we did Last Call, which is bringing back our best deals of the recent period for everyone. And it was a, we're not going to do it again. But I'm really glad we tried things out and we do our best to make our customers and partners and our team happy. So thank you everyone who made that happen. Have a chirpy day. What's your favorite soda? Right now, you know, I'm in Spain. I'm drinking this Coke, a Cola, zero Azucar and zero caffeine. It's getting crazy.